my whole thing is like, I think you can subtly teach people about business and finance through storytelling and through relatable topics. So people will be like, well, why aren't you doing personal finance? Like your topics are too broad. Like that was the feedback I was getting. And I was like, well, it's broad because no one's been doing it like that. Everyone has been doing personal finance. Like who the fuck is looking up a per the person who needs to learn about personal finance is not looking up a personal finance podcast because they don't care or they don't understand like what you're talking about half the time. You know, like why can't you explain it to them by telling a story about a restaurant? Wow. I know another zoom podcast. That must mean we're still in quarantine. That must mean we're still inside. I know. Things went a little bit crazy. For everyone that's commenting on my beard, man, it's not going away. I'm keeping it. The curls are coming out. I'm going white man afro all the way. I'm embracing it. Okay? Um, today, sorry, sidebar for everybody. Today, we talked a lot about podcasting and a lot about financial literacy and uh, a lot about money, man. We just talked about money. We talked about money with a gentleman named Mesh Lakani, who's actually the host of The Talk Money, uh, which is a podcast you can find everywhere, Apple Music, Spotify, all, or sorry, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that. Uh, incredible gentleman. Yeah, he's someone who has a story of finding a way into kind of the upper echelon upper, upper circles of life and so uh, mesh actually co-founded something called mark II capital uh, which is a, an alternative credit fund we get into that and what that actually is so he invests in uh, you know new financial technology companies right um getting them the money that they need um to actually scale and you know grow bigger and so mesh in addition to uh, the podcasting. He's deep in the uh, you know Wall Street financial um, backing game or, or whatever you want to call it, the investing game. Someone that really knows how to get into the minds of other people is really dedicated to his craft. Really surrounds himself with incredibly intelligent people, and it's just figuring it out and he's looking for a way to serve he wants to continue to educate people he's learned a ton and got into a lot of rooms that um you know maybe shouldn't have got into and uh, got into ranks uh, in, in the upper echelons of society so incredible guy i, I really enjoyed uh, uh talking to him and i really resonated with his story i know you guys will too we talked a lot about investing we talked about you know, COVID, how that impacts the economy, some personal finance, a lot about podcasting. We just kicked it. So if you're someone who's interested in podcasting and that medium, uh, someone who's interested in, in financial literacy and, and investing in private equity, you know, you'll probably enjoy this podcast too. Mesh, thank you for coming on, my man. I really appreciate it. All the listeners out there, you guys are awesome. Thank you. Please keep the DMs coming. I know I'm spending too much time on my phone uh, replying and talking to people, but you know what? That's part of the gig. I love it. Honestly, the questions, the follow-ups, the, hey, Josh, you stumbled on your words. Uh, those are fun too. So make sure you guys go out and subscribe to the podcast. You get that little notification on your phone that pops down and says, hey, listen, there's a new podcast. You should probably check it out. And as always, you know, get at us on Instagram at ThinkSpace Podcast. We have all types of stuff coming up there. Flashback Fridays, my personal commentary, me rambling. Anyways, it's a good time. So here, without further ado, is our podcast with Mesh. The Think Space podcast is a home for the passionately curious. We aim to dig deep and learn as much as possible by connecting the right questions with the right people. So we bring in some of the best minds in the Pacific Northwest, regardless of their industry, to extract the most value from their stories and experiences. Yes, you're going to get something from this episode, which is good. Or you could get something from every episode we release by subscribing on whichever platform you're listening on. 
You can find the full show notes at thinkspacepodcast.com or have the visual experience of this podcast over on YouTube. If you want to get looped into some exclusive content or private giveaways, join our mailing list. The link's in the description. Mesh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me from the East Coast, sir. How are you? You're not coughing. You're not sniffling. You look healthy. Everything looks good. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, uh, you know, lucky and thankfully, um, doing okay. Uh, safe down here in, in, in Florida, where we're currently residing at the moment. Been lucky enough to be down here. Wife's got family down here. So we originally live in Brooklyn. Um, but left about a month ago. Yeah. Good on you guys. Good on you guys for sure. Um, so I'm curious, I'd, uh, I'd actually like to open up the, the floor for you to, to introduce yourself a little bit here, because as much as I can go through LinkedIn profiles and listen to the podcast, I'd be interested to hear what, you know, your interpretation of, of what you do is, cause you do a lot of stuff and I can, I could kind of just point at you and be like, ah, it's the finance guy. But I, I bet that you could, uh, uh, you know, provide a better definition for yourself. So what do you do in your day-to-day life, you know, maybe pre COVID? Uh, yeah, I do two main things. So I'm a, an investor. Um, and then I host uh, a podcast, but really more building on a content platform around financial literacy called Talk Money. Um, so those would be the two main aspects of my my life in terms of what I do right now. Right. So we have Talk Money and we have Mark Two Capital. What what is Mark Two Capital? And uh, for those that that don't know, and Maybe you could go into a little bit, uh, you know, more depth and painting a little bit more of a broader picture and giving some sure. context on on what that all looks like. Yeah. So on the investment side, uh, there's really two categories. Um, one is really more personal, um, and what I do with family, uh, my mom, and um, and then the second thing is Mark Two Capital, uh, which was technically actually spun out from investing personally and then finding an opportunity um, with Mark Two. So I'll start with Mark Two. Um, Mark II is really a, a fund that was devoted to financial technology companies that were specifically in lending and finance. Um, it, back probably like four or five years ago, we founded it. Um, There's a bunch of fintech companies that were coming out that were doing what's essentially called non-bank lending, which is basically, as it sounds, it's lending without a bank or it's not coming from a bank in areas that banks won't lend in. Um, and so everything from, you know, you see all these cash advance apps, you see financing to, um, app store developers, you see cash advances to landlords, like all these things are new products that have been created, um, post 2008, um, regulation. Um, and we saw an opportunity basically to provide the debt that these companies needed to actually lend out before they mm. could go to a really big institution. Um, so it was a pretty cool, you know, it was an interesting opportunity. Um, you know, there was a few of us in it and obviously it's a large, a bunch of larger folks in it. Um, and we've been doing that for the last uh, three years. Um, and obviously that transitions, everything evolves. And so now we're finding newer opportunities. So I would say Mark II is a fund that I co-founded with my partner, Rennick, um, you know, where we have LPs, we raid outside capital. Um, and we manage that. Um, and then separately I invest personally. So personally would be, um, you know, obviously we have our public equity exposure, but we also invest in early stage equity where LPs and, 
um, venture funds and other funds, and I've made some personal investments in companies. So that would be the landscape of the investment side of things. Got it. So we're taking your own personal money you're, and you're, you're pooling capital together from other retail investors and other uh, institutional investors. Is that correct? Yeah. So the personal stuff is just personal. Um, personal is just Mark, personal. Personal is just personal. And then Mark II is um, raising, it's an institutional fund. So we have Got LPs, um, you know, ranging from individuals to uh, institutional funds. This episode is brought to you by Self-Hired. Self-Hired, if you don't know, is a content studio that specializes in video production as well as photography and yes, podcast production. So if you are an individual or you are a head of a company or a marketing manager or a content manager at a company that's thinking about one of the most powerful mediums in 2020 and want to start a podcast, uh, give the fellas over at self-hired um, a call that you can reach them at selfhired.com um, or info at selfhired.com if you want to blast them an email thank you guys so much and here's to the episode got it so you so you take that you take that pool of funds and you go all right here's company x here's company z we think they have great upside and um you know maybe they don't want to go to market or whatever it may be but they do need financing they need more money to get off the ground so you're all right here we'll use some debt instruments and we'll get you the money that you need so you can scale is that is that kind of a good summary there um so the only difference there is that we're actually not giving debt to the company to scale their business what sure. they do is that their business is in lending. So they actually have an instrument that they're lending out Got and we it. give them that money. So that money actually, you know, it basically, essentially we act like a bank to them. This is our cost of capital to them. And then they go and charge their cost of capital to their customers. And then they make the spread and we make our money. Um, Very interesting. So, yeah. It's uh, it, 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 it sounds more complicated than it is, but essentially it simply is like, think of like, uh, a small business lender online that's got like a cool product. Um, initially, when they actually start lending money, it's not coming from a bank. It's actually coming from a fund like ours, or it's coming from a group of high net worth individuals. And they slowly start building uh, what's called, called a loan book. They're basically building a track record to then go out to like someone bigger and being like, let's start with a million dollars. Okay, the next person's gonna give us $10 million. Okay, we're gonna get to $50 million. Then they try to get to the point where they can go to a bank and the bank was like, fine, we'll give you $250 million because anything before that is really not worth our time. Um, yep. Essentially because you know a bank is not gonna put all this resources into something that hasn't been proven or proven to scale. Right, so, so you're, you're, you're helping them get to critical mass. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, or maybe, yeah, basically we just help them get to the next stage, which would be a lower cost of capital for them. Got it. Got it. So, you know, financial engineering, uh, you know, what debt instruments, equity instruments, all these different types of things. The world of investing is extremely complex and there are so many different ways um, to go about it. I mean, when you say, you know, for, for everyone listening, that might be, you know, maybe they've read The Intelligent Investor or something like that, or they've just kind of skimmed the surface and they, they understand, okay, I'm buying ownership in a company and and that's how I'm investing. And and the world of financial management goes so far past something as, as simple as that. I'm curious, how did you get to um, really sink your feet into being able to 
provide these transactions for these people and actually facilitate this and create Mark II Capital? How did you actually get to this level of education and experience to be able to do, you know, work with numbers these big? Um, that's a good question. So, uh, one, I'm super fortunate, uh, very lucky um, to be in a position to be doing it. It really started out. Um, I didn't go to school for this. So I, I didn't I didn't study business or finance in college. Um, I actually wanted to be a business major. Um, I was just a terrible student and I didn't have my shit together. Um, you know, Classic. honestly, I, I was one of those like, I would just call myself like a spoiled um, student who didn't really have to think about things, um, you know, until it was too late. And uh, I really regret that. I wish I could go back and like go back to my first year and like work hard and like go down the business road. Um, I didn't have the grades to get into the business school. So I became a foreign policy major with a focus on the Middle East, which actually probably made me a better bullshitter than anything else because you're in discussion class (laughs) and you have to basically keep a discussion going with whatever little you read, you know, before class. Um, so I actually ended up really liking it. I, I did, you know, I did pretty decently in that. Um, and then after college, uh, I moved to Washington, DC. I went to school in Virginia, moved to Washington, DC. My sister was there. My parents had just moved from Pakistan, uh, where I grew up, um, to DC. Uh, my dad had just had a, a successful exit, you know, that he had spent 10 years working on and he brought his, um, his capital to the U S and basically was like, okay, um, here, apparently you hire a private wealth manager here and, uh, let's get going. Like, cause in Pakistan, you're not really like, you know, back then you're not buying stocks and stuff on, on the markets. Like because right. countries like that, you're essentially getting like 12% interest, having your money set at a bank. Wow. Um, like eight to 12%. Uh, why? Well, you know, it's risky, but that's what people pay. That's, you know, essentially it's the difference of, if you look at risk, if you look at like keeping us dollars in a United States bank, you're going to get paid maybe now one and a half percent for it. Right. If you look at now keeping money in a bank in Pakistan or in Bangladesh or in India, they're going to pay you a lot more to keep your money there. Um, you know, if that makes sense, it's simply more of a risk thing. And, and uh, uh, if when you look at the currency and the inflation risk and, and what comes. Right, upon. right, right. It's just unstable. Exactly. And so you come to the U.S. and my dad's like, okay, so what are we going to get in the stock market? He's like, yeah, it's like, you know, seven, eight percent. He's like, what? No, what is this? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, and so, you know, I hired this private wealth manager and I remember like trying to learn from him. I honestly couldn't understand anything. I'm shameful to say that in 2000 and uh, what was it when I graduated? I graduated in 2006. Like if you asked me what the stock market was and what shares of a company were like even name one stock ticker. I couldn't tell you, like I had no idea how it worked. Hilarious. I didn't know what the Dow Jones, Dow Jones was. I didn't know what the S and P 500 was. Like I had no idea about this stuff. Um, and so I would sit with this guy cause my dad's like, Hey, you should learn this stuff. And again, that's what I mean by super fortunate. Like we were fortunate, like I was able to do that. You know what I mean? And this guy was like literally plugging in numbers. Um, He was just like reading a paper. He's like, okay, we're going to get some of this, get some of this, get some of this, get some of this. And and then we would go to lunch. I was kind of like, I don't really know exactly what just happened, but this seems So what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the market crashed and it became a whole, uh, a whole new story of, well, the stuff he was putting us in because, uh, you know, my dad was like, I need X 
um, percent. Like that's what it was I need. risky. It was super risky. They were um, what's known as closed end funds, um, which is uh, essentially a fund that you can't get your money out of. But these were being traded. Um, they were being publicly traded. So there were funds that were being traded, and they were trading at a discount, but yielding like ten or twelve percent. Like actually, if you would look at it now, it's like all these things that would be red flags. Um, Huge no nos, and would be like, what is going on right there? Yeah, like it's too good to be true. Like it's training at a discount and it's yielding twelve percent. Like that's amazing. No. Like it, there's yeah. upside and no, and like <laughs> and those things basically went to zero. Um, and luckily, we had only dabbled because you know we were just trying to understand how this worked. And the market crashed. And um, you know, long story long, we ended up hiring somebody. We fired that guy, and my dad's like, "I'm just going to do this myself. Like, let's just hire a guy and do this ourselves. Like, how hard can it be? Um, hire this." guy john who ended up becoming a mentor to me and uh literally took the time he didn't even need to but he took the time and taught me um like everything and this was during like the financial collapse and like crazy days crazy swings in the market and that's what, what I, that's how yeah that's how i learned what like stocks were that's what i learned what volatility was that's what i learned what trading is that's how i learned about options that's how i learned about strategies and the difference between like blue chip companies and you know super risky growth companies and uh, it was like five years of that and um, I got to experience it with like actual money um, and learn that way. Uh, and so that's how I, that's how I learned my basics at least. But then since then it's been about, you know, 12 years of learning after that. See, that's one of the most interesting things about the interesting things about finance is that, you know, for me, I get bored with things when I figure them out. And I think this is an industry that I could li quite literally spend the next 60 years studying and still continue to learn. And that's that's the most interesting thing. And I think especially in a business that is so well, I'd say respected and so it has so much leverage. You can do so much in this. This isn't like, for instance, um, you know, learning carpentry or something like that, where you're limited. Like the amount of scalability to this business is so profound. And we all speak one common language, which is money. And we can motivate people in different ways to 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 push societal action. I mean, it's su there's such great skills, and that's why I think you know financial literacy should be doubled down on so much. And that's why I apply what you're doing with talk money. Um, but I, I want to I actually want to go back a little bit because you you talked a little bit about, all right, 2008. Yes. What a time to enter uh, the financial services industry and actually just be or not even in, just be investing in general. Um, and then you actually you went and you joined a private family office. And uh, maybe you can illuminate a little bit more what that was like and as well. What is, um, you know, a family office for those that don't know? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. It's, uh, I mean, I, I, I think everybody has a different definition for it or whoever is out there selling you whatever about Someone. family offices. Like, whoever you know, that person is. Yeah, that, that person is like hosting <laughs> dinners where you get to meet other family offices and those conferences, which are bullshit, by the way. Don't follow for that <laughs> um, Like all those guys are just trying to, it's just like a, anyone just trying to sell access to somebody. And I'll tell you what, like the family offices you would probably want to meet are not there. Yeah. Um, they're all actually there to learn. A family office is essentially just saying I manage my own capital, and uh, that can be the, that, that can be I own I have my own money, I've got my mom's money, or I've inherited some money, or now I'm like George Soros and I have you know a few billion dollars and I actually need to create a proper right. way to say institutional. It really just means a structural um, 
family office. Essentially, it's like, here's my money. I'm going to have a team. They're going to have this person's going to do this. This person's going to do that. This person's going to do this. And they're going to have some like guidelines and parameters and they're going to be allocated X amount of money. Like that's obviously when you have a ton of money, you can actually pay for that. Right. Um, and that's really what it is. It's, it's just putting your, you know, putting your money uh, in personally. Um, some families are obviously way bigger than others. Um, and, and, you know, it was funny, like one of the earlier lessons I learned was, uh, a friend of mine, I was like, ah, you know, he was like, just say you're a family office. I'm like, ah, well, it's like, it's not really an office. It's like <laughs> kind of not true. Like my, my mom's money. It's like not, you know, it's, it's good. It's, it's a good amount for sure. But I'm not like, I wouldn't call it an office by any means. Like, um, I'm writing the smallest checks and, and things. And he's just like, dude, nobody cares. Just say that you're a family office. Shut and up and call yourself a family office. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so I think learning early on was when we were managing our own capital and looking at public equity specifically, um, you know, when we got in there, that was a time when active management, um, you know, active in the sense of you were picking stocks and you could have picked anything in, in 2008, 2009. I mean, yep. anything besides the ones that went, you know, bust, but you essentially were buying companies at a discount. And, and it would, in, in this case means they were trading at a like low value where you could have a lot of upside. And the VIX was um, the volatility index, which essentially tracks the volatility, the major swings in the market, the fear in the market was at, I think, 30 to 40. And what you could actually do is you could buy stocks and you could sell a covered call on it, which would essentially mean I'm selling a contract for someone to buy this stock at a higher price from here in the next month. And that would essentially get, I would give up the upside above that, but I would lock in like 2% just to mm -hmm. sell that contract and still have a little bit of upside. And you could do this every month and you were basically printing two to three percent a month and then you were capturing upside on top of that like I, I, it was insane like you could essentially be buying things like apple and walmart and doing this and and i've never seen that you know obviously i, I started in 2008 so i haven't been around for that long since then but sure. that's never come back you only had like two years to do that and then once that stopped when things got back to a certain level and volatility came back down and um, that's essentially where it became, again, really hard to make m money besides your average 7% a year. Um, and then you kind of sit back and you say, okay, like let's just take more of a passive investing. Essentially, we're just going to invest in the market. We're going to be long and that's it. And, you know, those lessons were interesting because I think for the most part, investing is very much like a time uh, is experience. Like you just need time because there's so many factors that you just don't understand how you will react to like no. emotion is a big part of investing and i think when you're early on you're you become more emotional and you react like if the market crashed tomorrow you'd be like oh my god i'm changing my mind I'm I'm, I'm 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 you know never mind let's cut that strategy and move and when you don't have any experience it's um you know it's hard to make good decisions it's the same thing with like early stage investing and angel investors like you know you're, you might have some wins, but you've made so many mistakes that those mistakes will basically take away a lot of the gains that you're going to have until you go now your next five years of doing it. You have that time that you've experienced. Okay, I'm not going to say yes to everything. Oh, I'm going to now understand that this company might, like 10 of them might exist in different cities and I'm actually investing in the worst team um, yep. or, you know, yep. whatever. So um, 
I, I think I've gone off a uh, tangent here. But, hey, I'm uh, loving it. I'm loving it. I got so many things to go off of. I love it. So, uh, so the last 12 years have been so interesting in the market. And yeah, 2008, 2008 was a ringer. Now we're here in 2020. Oh boy, how quickly things change. Um, a decade of experience behind you. What are you looking at right now? Like, how are you approaching? What's your methodology and and how you're actually thinking about uh, public markets? I know a lot of investors, including myself, there's a, a certain level of frustration because Wall Street has gone so far from Main Street. And what I mean by that for people that are listening is, you know, how public equity markets actually move and what the businesses are actually doing. The attachment from the stock market and the economy is so disconnected. And we used to think they were, or at least I did, think that they they kind of work together in some way. Uh, how are you thinking about 2020 now as, you know, again, we're recording this in May, the the markets had its, you know, had a horrific march. And I'd be interested just to see now that I know how you thought about 2008, how are you thinking about 2020? Um, yeah, you know, I still don't really know. Um, I, I love I it. I love it. All, all these, all these, uh, so I, I talk to portfolio managers all day and you'll have these lengthy conversations with them and they're like, so, so what's it going to do? And they're like, well, I don't know. And you're like, you're supposed yeah, to know. That's the thing. It's like, it's one of those things where you thought you saw, like, you know, we were all like, well, we saw 2008, like this is not 2008. This is a whole different animal. And you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Like this, this time people are, you know, getting sick, people are losing their jobs, people are dying, like businesses are going out of business, the stock market keeps going up. And, um, you know, the way I've thought about it is preservation of cash, and however degree that you have it was really important to me personally, um, just in case like things went to shit and like no more income coming from something or like, you know, maybe the fund doesn't do as well. Uh, maybe our investments all go to zero. Like I wanted to make sure that we protected that. Like, I don't, I didn't know if the, the market was going to crash or not. And like, I didn't want to wait around to find out, um, you know? And so uh, cash was really important because, you know, we might not see, it's one of those things where I think people, I think a lot of the frustration and I'm, and I'm talking strictly from an investment standpoint, I don't want to sound, um, uh, inconsiderate or, or just kind of like an asshole when we're talking about stocks and money and there's like people like losing their jobs, people dying, yeah. people dying. But like it, a lot of the frustration of the market going up to me is really more because people haven't found the opportunity to buy in where there was an opportunity. And like, that's, I think, frustrating people where yes, it keeps going up. It keeps going up. But like, but shouldn't we all be technically happy that it's going up? Right. Like our retirement right. plans and stuff have been affected. And, and, you know, for the most part, I was completely wrong in, in my, in my thesis where I was like, I'm just going to put some cash on the side, at least right now. And I think that, you know, it's more important to think about, we just don't know what's going to happen in terms of the recovery. You know, the economies haven't opened up yet. We don't know the the reaction in commercial real estate or uh, residential real estate, you know, just signaling those industries alone. Um, I don't really know what happens in, in the next few years, but I, I do know that for me, I'm more comfortable having a bit more cash to see if there is going to be opportunity for something, or at least making sure that we'll be okay if, if things hit the fan. If things keep going up, fantastic. Um, and so I'm really, for me, I'm, I'm kind of more, I would call myself just sitting on the sidelines and, and just watching and, um, you know, uh, hoping that for one, that we can actually go out and like 
go to a place and eat and pay um and before me right i know the normal the, uh, just getting back to to what feels like ground one you know ground zero um how has this affected um small business when it pertains to financing and, and when it pertains to raising capital because i know that you um you know are involved in some way should perform with angel list and this is kind of your your realm and we can talk about the big boys all day long in the broad economy but i mean especially with us over here at self-hire we deal with entrepreneurs all day that have mid-sized businesses that have been trying to scale and the economy's been great and everyone's been trying to raise money and expand and and uh, the growth narrative has just been insane uh for for so many companies and all of a sudden bam shit hits the fan and we're left here today kind of looking around going okay well what do we do now we were going to expand into the us we're going to expand into canada what do we do now our investors want their money back how are, how are, how are, do you think businesses of that kind of small mid size handling this right now? Um, I'm, I'm sure it's pretty, it's pretty terrible for them. I mean, I haven't spoken to that many in, in all honesty. I know there's, if you're going to, if you're going to follow somebody on this and, and hear what their thoughts on it, Brent B on Twitter is an amazing follower, uh, sorry, an amazing follow, um, who speaks about this all day because he particularly invests in awesome. you know medium-sized businesses uh family-owned businesses around the country specifically middle america but i think the bottom line is that it's really hard for anyone anyone that has it, that lost um has lost revenue and is in a cash crunch most of these people are not sitting on like a ton of cash right because if they were i mean you know, they'd either be reinvesting it or that means that they were super profitable, but they, you yeah. know, it's the same thing with like a restaurant, like a restaurant doesn't have like six months, 18 months of runway and like investors aren't running to the gate and being like, here's money, right? The margins are really thin. So I think when you're just talking about general small businesses, I think it's just really, really tough. Like they're going to need to depend on government aid just to like wait it out till we can reopen. And when we reopen, um, it's still going to be tough. And like some businesses are doing okay. And like some industries have been completely shut down. It really just depends on where you're at. And I think that's just, it's going to be hard, hard to, um, you know, uh, watch. Um, and, and I think that's the, the reality of the thing is that it's not good for anybody. Um, obviously some industries will benefit. Um, and, and then when you think about on like more of technology where they're raising money from venture, funds and, and angel uh, investing. Uh, my my affiliate with, affiliation with AngelList is simply I made a course like four years ago um, with uh, for AngelList and it's on their site. Um, and I've invested a bit on the platform um, a few years back. But honestly, there's so much fucking money in, in, <laughs> in tech. Um, there's so many funds out there. Like if you've got a good company, like in, in reality, like you will be okay because if you have investors that believe in you, they're going to keep you afloat and you're going to cut your staff and you're going to do all these things to like keep going. And then at the end of the day, like if you've got a really good idea and some traction, like there's a ton of stuff that's happening right now and like content creation online, um, you're going to be able to raise money for it. Or, you know, you, you take that experience and you start building your own online businesses, right? Like yeah. I was an investor in a company called teachable, um, that recently sold and, and, um, the Encore, who's the founder, is a tremendous founder. And essentially, they saw like 
2x growth um, after COVID hit because Teachable lets you create your own online school. Anyone can create an online course. And so, you know, everyone, everything from like teaching real estate to voice lessons to, you know, you name it, um, people were selling these courses and they're making good income for themselves or like Shopify doing some very specific uh, companies. So like, I think it's, it's just across the board. It's, there's some things that are working because we're inside and we don't have things to do. And then there's some things that are so dependent on us being outside and that's where it's going to be. That's where it's really unfortunate for folks. So it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of a mix. Yeah, man. I mean, it- it's change, change and permanence is constant in the universe, right? And, and change creates opportunities. Entrepreneurs, um, capitalize on, on those changes and on those opportunities. It's, it's a beautiful time in that. Like we should, we should lean into it. I think, like you said, if you're solid, be solid, um, continue to weather the storm. This is what you do. I I know Gary, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk had this great thing. I think it was maybe two years ago where he was like, What's going to happen when you have to work for 10 cents on the dollar? And are you prepared? Because there was this growth narrative everywhere where companies weren't even expected to be profitable. It's, it's, I mean, I could go on and on. It's, it's interesting. And, and I'd be interested to hear your take as an educator now, because I mean, really, that's kind of how I see you as, is as an, as an educator. And as I go through and listen to all your podcasts, what, you know, the price of a pandemic and how you've broken down something so simple as like, uh, a restaurant owner or something so simple as the stock market, which like I say so simple as in that you really do make it seem so simple where it's, you know, we don't, we don't have to go into the intricacies of everything just to grab the concepts of it. So one of the concepts that I wanted to grab from you right now is why is it that you feel this uh, I'll say inclination to be such an educator right now, or and I mean, because it seems as if you've made this pivot in the last couple of years to you know again working you know at a family office and and doing uh, all this investing stuff and then actually pivoting and being all right. Well, I'm going to be a voice in this space now. I'm curious how that all came about. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I can it, it can go back all the way to um, I mean, God, you could even say like high school, right? I, I think that my interest in education is always, re- it's really, I would say is like passionate. Like investing is cool for sure. You're, I'm super lucky to be doing that. And and I've learned a ton from that and it's actually opened these doors to do this. Edu- like I wouldn't be able to be educating on anything if I didn't you know, have anything to educate on. Um, and, and so there's, there's two sides to it. One is really my personal history of, you know, not feeling like I was smart enough or good enough to like get into business school or like, then I tried to, I wanted to go to like get my you know business school. I wanted to get an MBA. And, um, I was just like, I got to take the GMAT. Like I'm terrible at math uh, and English at this level. Like I'm not going to be able to do this again, but I want to go to the school. Like, why can't I just take these? um, Why can't I just audit the courses at NYU? Like, I don't care about getting the degree. I just want to learn. Like, this is such bullshit. Like, I, yes, someone can say, well, we should have probably studied for the GMAT really hard. I was just like, yeah, but like, I, I just know myself. Like it's not, that's, I'm just not going to be, I'm not going to be good enough to get in there. And so, you know, and then you have the people saying to you, I would constantly have people saying to me like, well, you think you can just get into business school? Like you just want to do this. And then I remember um, getting into arguments with like investment bankers. I, uh, Cause I, I originally um, moved to New York to be a songwriter. I, I wanted to be in publishing. Um, wow. That's a pivot. Which is, 
Yeah, like I, I've always, um, you know, uh, I actually didn't play any music in college, but I remember my uh, moment in eleventh um, grade uh, a talent show, and that was kind of one of those things where I was like, oh, you know, maybe this could be something one day, and then um, <laughs> I, I, I properly pursued it in. Um, uh, I think it was like about eight years ago, like I moved to New York and um, I publishing was interesting specifically because I wanted to be in the background. I wanted to write songs and like, I looked at it like, Oh, this is great. If you get a couple of hits, like you got this great income stream and you get to be creative. Like that's a great business. It didn't really work out for me. Um, I didn't have the, you know, the oomph like that. So many amazing musicians have to keep going. Whatever um, that is. I, I think it's uh, a belief in yourself, talent for one, and persistence and like not giving a shit what people think about you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that was I, I, the reason why I mentioned that is because I remember um, I got into an, a discussion with somebody about the Pandora IPO. And I said to this person, um, well, they were on the team that was underwriting um uh, uh, the Pandora IPO. So probably not the best person to say this to, but I remember sitting there, I had a couple of drinks and I had been studying music publishing, like everything I could read about publishing. I was so interested in it. And I was like, this business model doesn't work. Pandora will ever, forever pay this fixed cost. And, you know, this is the Spotify thing now to record labels and to music publishers. Like there's so many people trying to get money from one song. It's insane. And, I remember taking that and saying Pandora will never be a profitable company. That's what I just said at this table and we were drinking beers and I got like, uh, like it was like a public humiliation. They all started laughing at me and they're like, what do you know about finance? Like you don't know anything. Like you're just like talking shit. And I just like, I remember being really upset. I'm like, well, that was pretty embarrassing. Uh, I was actually told to leave because it was apparent. Wow. It was so offensive. Um, to be fair, uh, a couple drinks. I sound like an arrogant prick because they're talking about these people working really, really hard on this stuff, and so they're probably like, "Dude, what are you talking about?" And I think it ended up being true. I think Pandora was actually acquired because uh, I don't think it ever. Um, and, and and don't quote me on this. I don't think they ever reported a a, a positive um, earnings report um, in terms of um, profit. But so <laughs> I remember I remember being like, "This is bullshit." Like, why do these people feel like they're, you know? up here when it comes to like finance and business and like that's you know the the bankers and and whatnot and then as i started learning and then i got you know uh after my parents split i started managing my mom's stuff and like i remember just um you know it was it was so different once you could just invest money and then you would start talking to people and they're using jargon 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 and the jargon thing gets old like half the time i don't know what the hell they're talking about like it's the same reason why i don't really read the economist it's too dense for me um and I, i'm not i don't want to be embarrassed to say that like so, it's like some people's like tweets like it's intelligent it's super intelligent i don't understand what the fuck they're saying half yeah, the time what are you talking about though? yeah like seriously like, what I, are you saying and it's like you want to like like it because you're like yeah i, I like that tweet because you want to sound intelligent but like i'm sorry to speak in in simple english like it doesn't need to be complicated so i think all those things getting to the point made me want to be like why don't why can't we make this more simple for people especially because people are so intimidated by this stuff like if i can learn this stuff like anybody can learn this stuff like it's simply how you make it relatable to people um and how you make it accessible to people and then the other side of that was that 
just being on the investing side and seeing a bunch of fintech companies, a lot of the content that was being created was essentially for user acquisition. So everyone's creating content to do this thing where they're like, we're simplifying it for you. Yeah, but you're simplifying it for them to then capture them as a customer. So you're actually not like creating any transparency here. Now people are confused because they don't know who the fuck to, to use. There's so many options now. So um, many options. Oh my God. And, and that's what made me really want to double down and be like, okay, hey, once I have enough to learn about, like, I really want to go into this. Like, I want to figure out how to do it. And then podcasting became the medium that made sense, storytelling and like a narrative podcast style. So that's my super long answer. Sorry for the ramble, but it gives you a bit more context into why I'm so interested. Hey man, it's the, welcome. Welcome to the long form podcasting, man. You have a you have a license to ramble. We ramble all day over here. Oh my gosh, everyone's you know they're they're doing the dishes, they're taking a walk. It's all good. They got time. <laughs> Listen, we're we're on West Coast time over here. All right, everything's cool. Yeah, yeah this is already like a season worth of uh, stuff for me. Like uh, I know I would have cut these up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, nah, it's no, all it's, it's all good, man. Uh, so how how old is Talk Money now? Stock money uh, officially, I think it was like end of November of 2019. Um, right. So, so you're fresh into it. I'm interested in, and I'm asking. I get, I get real selfish on podcast mesh. I get, I'm like, I, I want to know. Screw everyone else. I got some stuff I want to know. How, how's, yeah, how's, how's your uh, experience been? Maybe from like your expectations going into now, what it's actually like. Uh, you know, I don't know. What is it? Six months later. Um, yeah, it was really nerve wracking in the beginning. Um, you know, really? you, be, you know, you know, you want to be accepted. You want, you, you work on something and you're like, I think please this is like going to work. Yeah. Please, please like me. Please like this. Please don't make me look like an idiot. When I told everyone I'm, I'm, I'm going to podcasting and I've given up everything. And like, this is, you know what I'm going to do. Um, I spent a really, I said to myself that if I was ever to start a company, uh, obviously outside Mark two or start something again, um, obviously, you know, doing music and I try to do this like music startup and, um, I didn't really know what I was doing back then. And, and I, and I said, if I was going to start something new, I wanted to be, um, one really, really devoted at it. And and two, I wanted to know that I could be like, you know, one of the best at it. And, you know, that's really more of like that feeling of like, okay, I really wanted to be a musician, but I wasn't the best guitar player, which limited my songwriting and, and, and all these things. And, you know, and, and, and I can actually control this. Like I can sit and learn. And I spent a year learning about, um, you know, just how to make a narrative podcast. And that took a lot of time. Like my first interview was, it was me like, interrupting people and more casual and and then when i remember we put the uh, the episode together i was like this doesn't sound like anything that i've been pitching people on like this is just me talking to to, to, to somebody for like an hour yeah. um and i'm like not that that's a bad thing but that's not what i wanted to do like um you know like that's just not my the 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 way i wanted to do this because my whole thing is like i think you can subtly teach p- people about business and finance through storytelling and through relatable topics. So people will be like, well, why aren't you doing personal finance? Like your topics are too broad. Like that was the feedback I was getting. And I was like, well, it's broad because no one's been doing it like that. Everyone has been doing personal finance. Like who the fuck is looking up a per? The person who needs to learn about personal finance is not looking up a personal finance podcast because they don't care or they don't understand like what you're talking about half the time. You know, like why can't you explain it to them 
by telling a story about a restaurant or telling a story about you know the gaming industry or whatnot and that that was really more my thesis so um it took me about a year to get going and now it's been about you know five five-ish months and yeah i feel pretty good man i, I feel pretty pretty good about where we're going i think it's only going to get better but i feel like i'm on the right track and um, i've had some amazing people um on my you know in terms of i teamed up with and these are former editors and producers from like you know uh, right now i'm working with an editor from wnyc who's taught me a ton and before that there was a guy from marketplace who taught me a ton and then before that was a guy from freakonomics who taught me a ton and my, my thing with them was always like listen like i know i'm like paying you um to do this work but like I'm also like, I want you to give me feedback. Like, I need you to tell me how to interview better. I need you to tell me what's wrong with my narration. I need you to tell me, um, you know, how to, how to think about tape and edit and, and this, and that. And so, uh, it was a lot of learnings, a lot of learnings. It's, it's really interesting because t creating a narrative podcast versus just interviewing someone and having a conversation they're both podcasts, but holy shit, are they completely different? I mean, we get away with throwing out a weekly podcast because we show up, we kick the shit, and we actually try to get something useful out of it versus creating an, uh, an informative narrative style podcast is, oh my God, the amount of work and thoughtfulness and okay, what's the listener's journey through this? Okay, what's their thought pattern? Let's decode their thought pattern and try to interject different messages at different points there. How is my tone? What about my narration? Is my personality shining through enough? Is this too information dense? Are there too many, too many insights per minute? Like it's, in, it's incredible and people say, oh no, just come throw on a mic and it's all good. Ah, a little bit different. It's a little bit different. <laughs> I mean, so, both I are challenging. Both are challenging on their own, right? Like, commend you for one being able to, you know, dive into a conversation and keep people engaged and keep the interviewee engaged. Um, like, I, I feel like I'm. I don't know. Like, I, I'm very energetic right now, and I think that's because you're making hey. me feel comfortable and stuff. Um, and and I think that that alone is like a skill, you know, and. I think on the narrative side, it's the same thing. It's um, there's definitely skills to it, and you need the right people with you who understand that. And there are levels to it, and that is for <laughs> oh sure. Oh boy! Um, oh boy! You know, <laughs> if you want to be cheap and pay somebody twenty dollars an hour, you're gonna get a twenty dollar an hour podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you have to pay people what their value is and what they're worth, and hopefully, and part of that is finding the right folks, but hopefully they bring to the table exactly what you want them to bring to the table. And that took me some time to really figure out, but I, I, there was, I wouldn't have done it any other way. I had to go through that. I'm still going through that. I still ask the people on the team, like on the production team, I, I asked my, my sisters and my wife and the people around me like, Hey, like, what did you think? Like, you know, what can I do better? Like, I think I was a little low energy on this one or you right. know, I didn't like this or whatever. And so it's, it's a constant learning, learning curve. Yeah. We we live in this age of digital consumption and digital narratives, right? And in digital narratives, we have characters. And in those characters, we are we are one of those characters and we're we're simultaneously reading and writing the story. And we're simultaneously reading and writing our own character in that. One of the one of the interesting things for me has been figuring out who I am as a young person in life, aside from podcasting. And then figuring out who I am as a host. Do they need to be different? What roles do they play? 
how what what will do myself justice what what is uh, what is of the most service to the listener and that's been an ongoing battle and the way that i've thought about it is saying you know just going to the team and being like hey let's bang out a hundred episodes and let's just learn for a hundred episodes and the team goes <laughs> that, dude that's a lot of work and i'm like it's what's required. Like we, I think we have a, we have to, we have to get reps. And I think in this world, there's we don't we don't have enough respect for people getting reps in because reps are not sexy. It's extremely hard. Like you going out and saying, so let's say for instance, eighteen months ago, you're like, I'm gonna start a podcast. Great, and then it takes you a year to get off the ground. Oh my gosh. That's so tough, right? And and everyone's around, oh, Mesh, I thought you were going to start a podcast. I listen, I'm working on it. I'm figuring it out. No, people yeah, want to yeah, see yeah, it today. Yeah, yeah. Yo, just yeah. throw up the Instagram post, man. What's going on? Just throw it up yeah. there. No, it's not like that. And so having those uh, those battles is extremely tough. But long, long-winded intro to a question is what I'm actually trying to get at here is how have you, and I'm selfishly asking this again because I'm the worst, um, but how have you created an identity for yourself in number one as a podcaster and number two in the realm of finance because those two worlds are very tricky to intertwine yes um and you know that was that was a big sigh man that was a big sigh uh no i i think it's you know it's a good question because i haven't I've, i've thought about it internally where it's like why does someone who's an investor want to be a podcaster? But I'm not like, it's not like I'm a VC podcaster pushing my VC fund, right? Like, which is, we'll see a lot. And like, some of them are really great. Like, you know, some of them are fantastic, but there's, there's obviously part of it is like giving shine to the fund that you're at and, and your, your presence. And that's great. You, and I'm you not have, saying you that have obligations. Yep. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I'm personally not doing that. Like, you know, get, you know, if, if I have more, uh, people get to know me better maybe i'll get more access but the reason for me doing it is like look i think that i can bring a take from what i've learned especially if i have potentially the skill learning the journalistic aspect of it and i'm not saying by any means you know i'm a journalist but i i think uh, i've learned from those people and i've been told like hey like and and it's really more like hey you might have a, a a good potential voice and you might be a really good host. Um, I think you could be good at this. And I was like, well, great. So that's fantastic. Uh, it's like having a good singing voice. Like, you know, you have to have something to work with. Um, Perfect. Great. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. And like, you have to have something to work with, but then what are you bringing to the table? Like, well, I'm just bringing a different unique uh, set of skills. I will ask questions the way I want them answered so that I can learn about your business. I am not trying to get like that money tape to like clickbait you because I'm, you know, you know, the way media does it a lot of times with business news. Like that's kind of when people ask like, what's the difference between you and planet money? Like, well, one, they're NPR, it's planet money. Like they're, you know, they're the OGs of this stuff. Like, you know, but thank you for putting me in the same bucket. The difference is, is I'm not a journalist. I'm an investor and I'm asking it from an investor's lens. Like I'm asking it with the purpose of, I want to educate my audience. And I think I know how to do that because I am the audience. I'm also trying to learn about these topics. Um, and I, and I think those two together are really, really important. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I mean that it, it excites me, but that's really where I want my my place to be. I, I I'm 
I'm very rewarded when I hear an episode and someone says like, I learned something from that. And that was entertaining. It makes me feel like I get to relive my um, aspiring moments as a musician and a songwriter. I'm just doing it in a different way. And like that to me is fulfilling. It brings it full circle to what I really love. And I get to mix these two things together. Interesting how we always like chase feelings in our lives and we, we chase them through different mediums, right? Like, you have a line in your podcast, or it's not your line, but you got the um, whoever you were interviewing to say, you were talking about restaurants, and you're like, I don't have a light item on my research that says, uh, uh, what was it, uh, taxes. I don't have a line item that says dishwasher. I don't have a light item that says this. I have a line on an item on my receipt that says steak, <laughs> and that's yeah. it. And you need to understand yeah. that that's all encompassed in that. And yeah. that moment, as a listener is the same thing when you hear a great hook and you're just like, Oh, that's it. That's the one right yeah. there. I get it. It all comes together <laughs> for me. Right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting as, as composers, cause you're a composer. All we're doing is chasing that feeling of connection with our audience. Right. So someone can say, Hey, listen, yo, I understand restaurants now. Thank you. I used to be mad when it was 1795. Why is this 1795? I can make this for $3. You're crazy. Right. And because we never put the, those two things together. But as composers, we're always chasing that feeling of connection. I know one of the most rewarding moments for me is when people have come to me and said, Hey, I didn't think you existed your your identity or your character existed in the world and i'm grateful that it does so for instance like a guy like yourself like you're you're one of one as far as i know and you're someone who is taking a new perspective to something is approaching it in an honest way and i'm not going to say a dishonest industry but an industry that has been you know behind closed doors you're making it relatable. You're someone where you can just, yeah, oh, I can just throw mesh up on a podcast so we can just jam. It's a whole new character that didn't exist in the world previously. And because of that character now exists in the world, I can now, I can now relate and I can become closer and learn to, from that character. That brings a level of comfortability and connection into my world. And so whenever I have those moments with listeners, it's like, man, that's all I ever wanted. Like that's it. That's all I've ever. That's all I've ever wanted. Because I think we're all chasing this idea of community and tribe and service and finding different mediums to do that. Um, and yeah, podcasting is one way to do it. Uh, very much one way to do it. I wanted to. Um, well, I wanted there's something to ask, nice about. There's something rewarding about someone liking your work. You know what I mean, very rewarding. You have to, to have to give, and, and you know, to your point, dude especially when you pour so much time and, and money into it and you you put something out to the world again another um another parallel to your world your world in in songwriting is in publishing is once you put it out you put it out yeah now it's the world's now it's the yeah. world's and they get to judge it which is scary right oh, yeah. um oh yeah especially when you're in finance and uh and the the, the rules are a little bit different um yeah what uh how does your public persona or your who meshes outside of your personal identity, I'm interested in how that's translated to your new identity. Because now that you're, yeah, a public figure um, and someone that people look to, 
I'm curious in how you've made the this this transition from okay, here's mesh as a person and what I represent, my values, how I think about life, and here's what's on the front page of the brand. How have you thought about that transition? Again, another selfish question because it's something I struggle with. Yeah, well, luckily enough, not that many people listen to the podcast, so I don't really have that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I um, honestly, man, I try to keep them almost the same. Um, nice. Man. I just awesome. try to keep a little bit of like privacy um, in terms of personal life, but I try to be as open. Um, like, I, I, you know, the, the narration, I'm, you know, I was actually listening back to some narration yesterday. And I was like, I think I could sound a bit more like this. Um, cause maybe I'm too like, uh, in my head about sounding, yep. you know? And so, um, I, I want them to be basically be the same. Like it, you're, you're hanging out with me on the podcast. Like that's me. Like I'm not really changing things. Like sure. Certain words and narration are changed because my editor's looking at them and she's like, no one speaks English like this. This is how you're supposed to say this. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks. Okay. Appreciate it. I'm terrible at writing. Um, but no, I mean, that's part of the whole thing is that I want to be relatable to people in the sense of I'm, I want you to, you know, I'm, I want you to feel comfortable talking to me or listening to me and knowing that I have your interest in mind. Um, you know, another reason for starting this is because I, uh, you know, there's definitely guilt in um, my, my parents have definitely struggled and they've worked really hard and I haven't had to do the things that they've done. And I, I look at people that have had to take student loans out and they've worked in all these jobs and they've worked their ass off, you know, including, um, you know, friends of mine, my wife, like all these people, like, I, I, I feel like I've, um, I've been very lucky. I've been very fortunate at times I've been spoiled. And for me, it all really changed when my parents split up and I took over my mom's stuff and realized that like, okay, I'm in charge of this. Like, part of it was like, I need to do something bigger. Um, like I, I, this is just too lucky for me to have, like, I will never be fulfilled with this. I will always be like, huh? Like, you know, there's, there's like, how can I give back here? Like, what can I do? And what I can do is, okay. Like, can I do something in terms of fi like financial literacy, which I, you know, I really wish we could come up with a different term because it sounds too, yeah, absolutely. like way too many syllables, man. Um, it, it yeah, like it sounds pretty, but I'm like, yeah, I'm doing financial literacy podcasts. And I'm just like, God, this person's looking like, first of all, you said finance and literacy, like who talks like that? Um, but it's it's essentially just making money more, like money makes the world go around. We understand money and it's taboo. And like, how do we explain this and just, you know, in a way that that would be um, interesting to people and where they learn. And so that is really my motivation for this thing. And of course, yes, I want to build a business out of it. Like, let's just be super honest. I'm not, you know, this is not a nonprofit here. Like this is uh, me essentially saying like, can I build a business and can I give back at the same time? Sure. Yeah. Why not? How is financial literacy like six, seven syllables and math is one. That doesn't make any sense to me, man. What the hell is going yeah. on? We, we need, we to need new out. words. Yeah. We need new words like financial literacy. It's just, um, like I feel it's like intimidating. It's, yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> it's it's like I went to the um, uh, to the exclusive. What do they call those? Like those clubs, you know, where they're playing tennis and and and, and stuff. And like that's what yeah. they would say there. Uh, yeah. You know, that's but but really at the end of the day, it's like 
everyone, and I believe this, like everyone should have a right to understand how their money works, how their investing works, how this works, and whether you have the money to do so or not, like you should understand it. And those tools are really important to have. It should be a right. It should be affordable. It should be accessible. It should be, you know, entertaining. Um, And I just think that this is my way of doing it. I'm sure there's a ton of other ways to do it. This is just my way. I'm curious when, because we talk a lot about financial literacy in my line of work and a lot of people, for instance, they'll run into a, a large sum of money through an inheritance or whatever. And they'll be like, all right, the stock market, what do we do? <laughs> and, and, and it's like, all right, let's, let's, let's back everything up. Let's take, let's walk three miles back that way and let's figure out what the groundwork is here. Uh, uh, what for you is the groundwork? of financial literacy is it budgeting is it understanding investing is it understanding debt when when someone comes to you you know uh, your neighbor's you know 16 year old son and goes mesh i want to learn what is that journey like for you how do you kind of lead someone through that it's um it's a good question because there are so many moving pieces and there's constantly things that i'm learning all the time like look um, I would hope that I'm a, a decent investor. It doesn't mean I'm good with my own money. You know, like those two don't go hand <laughs> yeah, in hand. Yeah, like yeah. I'm sometimes like, I'm not going to look at my credit card bill this month, you know? Um, <laughs> but like, and, and some people are just really, really good with budgeting and, and those things that gets inherently been in their head since they're a kid, or they've had reasons to be like, no, like this is really important for whatever um, whatever they saw as a kid or, or whatever their parents taught them and whatever they've been through. Um, and, and so I think it starts with that. I, I think it starts with, yes, I think it's understanding those simple things. Like what is your inflow? What is your outflow? Like, how does that work? And how do you like, this is how you should think about it. Like, don't be, uh, don't just be like a blind consumer and think and be okay with it. Um, if you want to do that, that's fine. But then don't blame everybody when you don't, you know, when you're like, Oh, well, I don't have any money. It's like, well, dude, you just bought like three pairs of fucking new Jordans. Like, did you really need no. that? You know, uh, they were like, retros though, you know? Yeah, they're <laughs> retros. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think it's like, if you, at least if you take the time to understand it and then you don't want to practice it, that's one thing. And then the other thing is that like, there's so many, actually there are technology has created made it easy for us to do this now because it should be about convenience. It should be about automation, but you should still be understanding why you're doing these things. It it would be the equivalent of being like, okay, I've now learned how to do, um, you know, I understand what it takes to edit and engineer a podcast. I'm not going to learn pro tools in like a week. So let me hire someone to do that, but I know what they're doing and I respect it. Um, you know, and I, and I think that with money, it, it does start with simply like I'm earning it and I'm spending it. Like, can I get that down? And then you move from there because there's so many components. Like, you're going to go buy a home. That alone is like a whole new new thing. Like, no one said that you need to understand how these things work or mortgages work. Like, I don't expect you to. But um, again, like, I think once you have a bit of foundation, then you start learning like these different pieces. Um, And for me, the reason why I I enjoy it, I'm interested in it. it, it gets me going. Um, you know, weirdly enough, I could never thought that would, but I think it's because I, let's be, I, I like money and the idea of like making it and investing it in a return and spending it. Like I like those things. They, they interest me. I don't mean to sound like a, you know, like Mr. Scrooge from like DuckTales or something, but like, I just, the, it interests me because it makes everything work and we live in a capitalist world and therefore you 
should understand it. If we didn't live in a capitalist world, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think about that all the time. I hate the wealth disparity. I wish that we could all just kind of be like hanging out in a beautiful earth and everyone's like doing their part. We just don't. We don't have that. We're essentially selfish people. Um, and therefore, capitalism seems to work as of now. So then you should play the game and understand it, whether you like it or not. That's my opinion. Um, obviously, I respect people who don't care about it and can, you know, you know, figure it out and like live away from all that. I, I 100% respect that. At the end of the day, the last thing I'll say is that I'm, I'm trapped in that commerce box. I'm like right. enslaved in it. Right. And so, well, fuck it. I might as well like do something with that. Um, you know, so I, I'm torn really the fuck. That's what we just found out. I'm really depressed about all this stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you, you've been inside too long, man. You've been inside too long. <laughs> Jeez. Um, across your journey of learning this thing called money from budgeting and cash flow to, you know, accounting practices to investing in private equity and and private lending. What's been the most, because I understand how daunting this is. Um, I understand how daunting the industry is, how daunting the sheer size of these institutions is, or even how daunting on a personal level opening your credit card statement is. So I'm curious, what for you has been the most uncomfortable learning curve across the spectrum of learning money? Um, you know, I would say it would be two things. I, I would say, you know, one is actually losing it um, and, and making that'll, that'll do it. That'll do pretty, it. pretty dumb, dumb mistakes. Um, and it's embarrassing because, you know, it makes you really sit there and think like, fuck, like I, I could have just saved this. I could have put this away. Like, am I endangering my family's future and, and all these things? And, <clears throat> and, you know, therefore I can't just stop there. I have to like, okay, well, let's continue down this journey. Right. Like I, I have to look at it like, well, it, it's not going to be one of those things where I'm just like, oh, you lost it. Okay. Let's just stop shop and go. Like I have to keep moving through that and take that lesson, apply it to the next and see how it betters me. Um, you know, the second thing was, I, I think it was um, a learning curve starting a fund. I'm super lucky to have a really good business partner who's extremely intelligent, who understands how those things work in and out. Like I wouldn't by any means like high level, you know, I understand it, but there's a lot of intricacies of that stuff that I'm just not trained for. And I think that's where it's kind of the same thing. Like you find, like if you understand it, but you understand there's certain things you can can't do you need to find that person who can do those it's okay if you can't do it like i wasn't a financial engineering major or math uh, a math major i, I just wasn't like, i don't have those skills but that's why you partner up with people that do um and i think you know i think me being okay with that um took some time because it gave me a level of like insecurity, like shit, maybe I'm not smart enough, right? And then at some point I just, you know, realized I'm like, well, I understand high level, like I understand how this works, but don't ask me to like literally draw it out for you in an equation or whatever, or model it out on Excel. I just can't do that. That's not my skill set. Um, and so coming to terms with that was, it was, was hard. Um, but it also just realizes like, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Find people who can compliment you. Um, and, and that's what makes good teams. So I think those two were my biggest learnings, but at the same time, were also very hard to, to deal with. 
a common kind of theme I'm seeing here is that throughout every step of the way, you've found a way to go hunt down whoever, you know, the best people are, the right people are, which everyone says they're doing and tries to do. And very few people do. And there's, there's certain individuals in the world that you, I can point to and I can go, yeah, everyone in their circle right there is a killer. Like, they, they really do this and they really do it on a high level and they fill their gaps. And if they don't, if they have any, any, um, you know, short sightedness on any one area, they've gone out there and they, they've either gotten themselves educated or they've hunted down the person that can actually fill that hole for them. That's such a skill. And it seems like one of these little intangible things, the gift of gab. How does he do this? How did he know such and such a person? How did he get such and such a person to open up to him? How did he um, even get in the door at that institution or or that company? Do you have any words of advice for, you know, our listeners or, you know, generally all younger and and trying to rise to the ranks at whatever whatever spot they are or, or entrepreneurs trying to to network and really build their their business and their networks? And you just, you seem to have done this in this way that's very elegant because I don't look at you and I don't go, ah, there's a guy that's trying to know everybody. I, I look yeah. at you and go, yeah, th there's a guy that's trying to learn. But you've done that in some, and you've finessed that in some way and I can't quite figure it out. Uh, I don't know either, man. I, I think, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I need I think, the juice. Look, I need the juice. What's the, what's, with, the, what's the magic? Without sound corny, I think it's being uh, honest with people. Um, and just asking, like, it's okay to ask. Um, obviously there's people that are super busy that are like, just don't start, you know, don't get, I'm not gonna give you my time and you're gonna talk about it. Like try to bring something to the table, but also don't be scared to ask. Like, you know, it's okay not to sound like, you know, the smartest guy in the room or the smartest woman in the room. Um, it's okay to just like be curious and like try to, like people do like giving their, their, people like to hear themselves talk. They like to feel important and therefore ask questions that allow them to do so. Soak it in, be patient. It takes a long time. Be genuine. Um, and I mean, this is in the sense like I've made this mistake a few times, like, you know, when raising a fund, um, you're trying to raise money and every meeting becomes like, what can I get out of this person? And I learned pretty early that like, you know, long relationships, are way more valuable than anything else. And it'll pay back a hundred times over in different ways, not even in terms of money, like open so many doors from you. And the times that I have been transactional, I've been, I felt shitty about it. And two, like I immediately saw how short-sighted that is. Um, and, and I think don't be transactional because I remember the time someone did that to me and it felt terrible. Like I remember I was, uh, a, a mutual friend was like, Hey, you two should meet. Um, you know, you're investing in similar companies and whatnot. And I went and met this person. This person was raising a fund when they found out that I wasn't a potential LP, like the meeting was done in 20 minutes. I was like, basically like not important. And like, yes, I get that's your priority and that's what you need to be doing, but who knows what it could have come from our relationship, you know? And I still remember that day cause I'm kind of like, what the fuck? Like that sucks. <laughs> then have I done that to somebody else? You know? Um, so don't be transactional. Don't ask for favors, like right off the bat, like build, build something with somebody and, and give them, show them that you're trying to give them something, whether it's even just friendship. Um, and they will, you know, if they believe in what you're doing and they think you're smart and, and they believe that you'll make them look good, they will do those things for you. Right. Like no one owes you anything. 
uh, have give them a reason to do something for you. And I, and I think um, for me, it's really just been building really strong friendships with people. Um, and, you know, and it's always paid off. Like relationships are really important. Yeah, man, build, build the leverage in that, uh, build, build the leverage in that you can put people in a position where you say, all right, so-and-so, I'm going to give you $2,000 a month and say, I asked for $3,000 a month and you know, you're, you're, you're new on the block and you go, Hey, listen, uh, I'm going to ask my buddy who knows my boss to put in a good word for me. Right. And, and I met so-and-so maybe a month ago. Well, rather than doing that, which may work out, it may not, maybe your buddy does you that favor. Maybe that conversation goes well and you try to finesse your way into being higher paid or whatever it may be. Why don't you go ahead and go, all right, listen, $2,000 a month. Great. Awesome. I'm going to put you in a position, me, myself, where it's ridiculous that you're just paying me this amount. Like you can self, you can leverage yourself. You literally can leverage yourself. I'm going to put you in a position where you can't say no. Yeah. I'm going to put you in a position where it's literally unintelligent for you not to introduce me to someone. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, I know. Mesh Mesh is a fucking rock star. And any any chance I get to introduce him to someone, I'm going to introduce him because guess what? That's going to look great on me. You put them in that position rather than be like, hey, man, listen. Can you do me a solid? <laughs> I need something right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes that guy. Anyways, um, I love it, man. There's, there's so much. There's so much great insight here. Where can people find you online and uh, where would you like to direct people? Um. Twitter, Mesh Lakani. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, trying to build that Twitter Twitter audience. Uh, I've spent ten years on there doing jack shit, and now I'm finally trying to do something <laughs> with it. Um, and thetalkmoney.com, which is, uh, you know, you can learn more about myself and, and the podcasts. Um, and yeah, man, look, I, I, I this has been this has been such a pleasure. Thank you, thank you, Josh, for having me on, and um, for asking great questions and making this fun like i'm oh shit i'm bummed out like it's over like i thought we were gonna have a drink together or something, so. i know i listen i'll uh i'll have to I'll, I'll hit your line next time i'm on the east coast and Please. listen you gotta get out here you gotta get out here to beautiful bc my friend the west coast is something different yeah i mean i i you know i think um obviously the folks who, who introduced us are also in in the area yeah. And, um, I've heard amazing things about I've, for, for my whole life. I've heard that Vancouver is one of the prettiest cities in the world. Um, and I have a old college buddy, uh, sorry, old high school buddy, um, who lives there that I haven't seen since high school. And, um, uh, one day I, I think in the near future, well, you know, we'll see what happens with all the shit, but, um, yeah, yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully I'd like to visit cause I, I do want to see what, what everyone keeps talking about. Cool, man, Mesh. I appreciate your time. I uh, look forward to chopping it up with you either on the West Coast or on the East Coast. And I just like to say, you know, continue educating. Um, if there's a fight that is really a battle that's really worth fighting right now, it is financial literacy. Get back to me when we have a better word for that. Um, 
And, you know, I just I think it's of the utmost importance. Yes, we're a capitalist society. I get that. It's the best system that we have right now. But, you know, wealth inequality is is a huge injustice. And I think the way that we solve that injustice is through education and and connecting and being human and not just asking people for favors, but rather actually caring and adding value to people's lives. And that's and that's what I think you do, man. So I appreciate you for the work that you do. And uh, I appreciate you taking an hour out of your day, man. So thank you. Hey, man, thank you. I really appreciate um, this time from you and, and the opportunity to speak on on your platform. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Mesh. Until next time. Take care, man. Not a bad podcast recording, if I may so myself say so myself. Mesh, I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, what a captivating dude. Truly someone who is able to take the, you know, behemoth of, um, you know, financial literacy and understanding money and actually make it digestible for the average person. I mean, me personally, I appreciate it because most people that you talk to in the financial sector, and I can, I know this from being one of them, um, you know, they really kind of make everything all fixed in jargon and, and hard to understand because they want to seem holier than now. And, that just gives it to you as it is and, and breaks down these complex concepts and just kind of puts it out there for you. So um, I would really, really highly recommend checking out his podcast. Anyways, um, thank you guys all for tuning in. As always, um, looking forward to getting back to in-person podcasts. I really miss the synergy, although it's cool to be like connected with like, it's the real from New York, you know, Mesh Lakani from, from New York, uh, Cole Wallace from LA, whatever, whatever. That's really, really cool, but damn, I miss having someone on the other side of this table. But as always, um, if, you guys have, if you guys have questions, give a holler. Make sure you guys subscribe. Make sure you guys go on to YouTube and check out the visual experience of this. You can see the progression of my beard. Um, it's been really, really great. What a journey for me personally. Um, and you can check out you know, all the other stuff that we have up there, mini series, self-portraits, off the cuffs. There's lots of stuff going on there in the Self-Fired YouTube channel. I appreciate you guys. Have an amazing week, and I will see you next Tuesday.